we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Amen. A, a couple things to begin. One, um, Danny and Ethan told me I didn't have to wear a tie over here, so I'm just grateful for that. Told me to leave it, leave it over in the other room, so that's exactly what I did. Although I have to say, I'm a, I'm a little worried because I also left my phone over there, so I'm just worried now I'm like not tethered to my phone this morning. So Now if you would, let's pull out our, our bulletins. It, you can see the scri uh, scripture there, it'll, it'll be on the screens as well. We're going to read together 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 2 and 25 and 26. So you got that out, let's, let's stand and let's read that together. This then is the text for today. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then uh, the king said to Zadok, uh, return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. May God bless the reading of his word. Oh, and one, one more thing. I almost forgot before we, we get into the sermon today. Thursday night, our Logos worship team led worship uh, at Church Under the Bridge, and it was amazing. They were fantastic. So worship team, thank you for that. And it was, it was all of them. It, it was, we had a, a large group up there, and we led at Church Under the Bridge, and it was perfect. So thank you for that, and I know that you guys would have been proud of that team. Um, and their work, it was well done. All right, let's get to, get to the, the text and what's in front of us this morning. See, when we, when we talk about having a bright future in front of us, and even just saying that phrase, a bright future, can get awfully complicated. Because when, when you start to describe a bright future and what you think a bright future looks like, you're going to get all kinds of reactions to that. Because it really depends on who you're talking to, what a bright future looks like. In fact, there's all kinds of opinions and thoughts on what your bright future might be. So to some, having a bright future might be days in Las Vegas, right? For others, having a bright future is a cabin hidden away in the woods 20 miles from any person. To others, a bright future might look like living in the middle of Manhattan, working 80 hours a week amidst 9 million people. Right? To some, that is the bright future that they long for. Now, some of us sitting here in this room, though, we, we could not care less about any of those kinds of things, whether it's a cabin in the wood or an apartment in Manhattan. Th those are not our idea of a bright future. And so when, when we start thinking about and imagining what our bright future might be, we need to be careful who we consult. 
And all of these people that, that we, uh, we bring into our circle who help us determine and figure out what our bright future might be, they give us all kinds of metrics on how you determine exactly if you have reached this bright future. You know, maybe it's an amount of money. Maybe it's, it's the family that you've always imagined. Maybe, maybe it's even making an impact on the world like no one else has ever made in the history of this world. Those, those things are good. And in fact, the potential is endless for what your bright future looks like. But hear me here. When, whatever our imagination pictures today, when you start to picture your bright future, it's on the horizon. Whatever our mind pictures today, it's probably going to be different soon. Because even ourselves, we have sort of different thoughts and different imaginations on what a bright future should be day in and day out. See, it appears even our own definitions of bright futures change with the seasons. And so we, we need to back up for a moment and recognize the truth of the future. Just like we were talking with the kids a moment ago, our, our Heavenly Father cares deeply about you and cares deeply about your future. Whether that future is in the next couple of months or the next 10 years, God holds that future in His hands. If our God is the creator of the universe, our God stands above all time. And the history that's in front of us is already His. He has already claimed it and ordained it. See, God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who was and who is and who is to come. And every definition of a bright future must include the creator of the universe. If our definition and our hope for a bright future does not include our God, we are mistaken. In fact, that history will not be bright at all. See, we must include our God who shapes history, even the history that is yet to happen. What we don't yet know, God already knows. What we can't yet see, God already sees. What we haven't yet experienced, God already knows it intimately. God has already experienced the future. It's a part of His nature to know what's ahead of us. And so God is standing above time. And this God that stands above time has a heart for you and a path to a brilliant future beyond your comprehension. You see, there are things in front of us as a church and there are opportunities in front of us as individuals that are going to blow our minds when God reveals them to us. When, when, we, when we step into the future that God has ordained for us, it is beyond our comprehension. We can't, uh, cannot yet imagine the kinds of things God has in store for us. Because He thinks differently than we do. He acts differently than we do. He, he's above physics and above time. We operate under those constraints. God has never operated under those constraints. See, even in John uh, 14, Jesus told us there that in the authority of the resurrection... And in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, you are going to do even greater works than these. Pointing to the Old Testament, pointing to his own life. And he's saying, after the resurrection, in the Holy Spirit, the church is going to do greater things than you have seen on the face of this earth. Greater things even than I. See, Jesus was setting the stage for a future defined by the Holy Spirit. And the future defined by the Holy Spirit it is this grand future where believers are brought to life by the Spirit. And believers shine brilliantly 
across the globe. The only way we step into a bright future is to embrace the things God embraces and to follow the commands of our Lord. You see, it doesn't matter what lies behind us. The past is in the past. And no matter what lies behind you or no matter what brought you into this place this morning, God has a bright future in front of you. Even though you cannot yet imagine it, God has already anointed it. A bright beginning to a new day. See, some of us imagine our future is pretty dim. Maybe even pretty short. But God has great things in store for His people. Great things in store for His church. Now, there's a, there's a word of warning in today's text. You look down with me again at chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 and 2. I want you to pay uh, particular attention here in verse 1. See, earlier in 2 Samuel, we are told that Absalom is, is this handsome man. And he's this handsome man with flowing hair. It's something like five pounds of hair on this man's head. He, he looks like a king. He's a beautiful man. Th this is a model that is walking in front of us. He, he looks the part of the king of Israel. He looks the part of, of, of just like his dad did. And so he begins to step into that role of king even while his dad, King David, is still king. So you see, as the story goes, Absalom envisions a bright future for himself. He, he sees this exquisite king of Israel while his dad ages in a nursing home or somewhere worse. And so Absalom just starts attacking the future. Absalom is going to take what, what, what he wants and whatever he wants. He doesn't care what, what his dad says. He doesn't care what God says. He's just going to do whatever he wants to do. And so now, now we'll get to, to verse, verse 1 and 2. Look with me here. So now it came about after this that Absalom, and here's a key phrase, provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before. This is a scene. In fact, it's a pretty absurd scene for Absalom to have chariot and horses and 50 men running ahead of him. And so he rises early. Stands beside the way to the gate, and any man comes, and so then he begins to interact with uh, those people. See here, the, the text is telling us exactly what we need to know about Absalom, that he provides for himself these chariots, these horses, these 50 bodyguards. All of that is unprecedented for a prince, and it's absolutely unnecessary for a prince, and really it's unnecessary in Jerusalem itself. There's no need for any of it. All of it is a show. All of this is Absalom pretending to be king, prancing around, dreaming of stealing his dad's job. This is all, this is all just pretend, it's make-believe, but he's living it out in front of everybody. You see, instead, instead of taking the next step to ensure that he would be a good king if he ever had the chance one day, so instead of taking what he has today and growing in that, Absalom jumps ahead a thousand steps and attempted to steal the future from the Creator. You cannot steal the future from the Creator. See, Absalom, he doesn't care about people. He cared about the title. He doesn't care about his country. He cared about the power. And amazingly, these people bought it. They bought the show. They bought into this future, this false future that Absalom was selling. And here, let me get just a side note here. Beware of the people in your life who tell you what you want to hear. 
They're, they're not doing you any favors. The people that tell you what you want to hear are not doing you any favors. They only tell you what you want to hear so that they can steal your heart and steal your future. Now, this is especially true of politicians, and that's what Absalom is living out here. It's especially true of them. But in your life, listen to those voices who speak truth, who steer you towards God and steer you towards repentance. See, it isn't going to be what you want to hear, but it will be the beginning of the brightest future. Now, sadly, but kind of remarkably, King David doesn't seem to see a bright future in front of himself. So as you, you work down, you get down to verse 13, as you work down through those verses, David begins to run away from all that he and the Lord have built in Jerusalem in the nation of Israel. David flees, and, and it almost seems like David is just giving up. In fact, there's, there's been many of us, there's been a lot of speculation around this this week inside the church as we've been talking about this passage all week. There, there have been many of us who've struggled with what David's doing here. That he seems to just be throwing it up and wallowing in his own guilt. That, that maybe, maybe it's difficult for him to discipline his children because we've gone chapters now and he's not disciplining his own children. And, and maybe it's just difficult for him to discipline his own children because of his own sin. Where he thinks, I have terrible things in my past and so maybe I don't even have the right to discipline my own sons. Now, now maybe that's the case, but, but we know different. We know better. We know that once we've been through the fires of sin and the healing of repentance, we no longer linger in guilt. But we have been set free by the power of the cross and the authority of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer wallowing in that. Maybe that's where David is, but that's not where we are this day. See, in the freedom of repentance, we teach our families, we teach our small groups, we, we teach our church what we learned in that crucible. If David was still running from his sins in these moments, he was mistaken. But let's set that aside. If nothing else, though, you know, be that as it may, David does not steal the future like Absalom did here. Look down at 25 and 26 with me again here. Let's look at that. Do you see how David responds to that? That Zadok is bringing the ark over to him. And David just sort of resigns this over. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he'll bring me back. He'll show me both it and his habitation. You know, but if God says, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. See, from these verses, it doesn't sound like David has given up. It sounds like he's allowing the creator of the universe to shape his future as God sees fit. David isn't going to fight the future or steal the future. David is going to submit to God's holy future. And what better example for us this morning? Because the last few chapters, David has been a terrible example. He's been the exact example of what not to do. But now he stumbles into something good. Right? He, he stumbles into submitting to God's holy future. Be it in guilt or resignation, however he finds it, he finds the will and the way of God. If, if I find favor, or if God does not delight in me, if God goes this way or that way, I am content to allow God to shape me however God sees fit. David is not chasing his own aspirations in these moments. In fact, he seems to be running away from his own aspirations. He's not chasing after the hearts of men. He is committed in these days to allow God to be the God of his life and the God of his future. 
See, in that moment, when we get down to verses 25 and 26, a ray of light breaks into David's life. The precursor to a genuinely bright future. When David is no longer worried about serving himself, but when David's finally able to hand it over to God, the future quickly brightens. Let that be a lesson for us this morning. When we're finally able to stop serving ourselves and hand our future over to God, handing all of it, the, the mess, our past, our imagination, our hopes, our dreams, when we hand it all over to our God, the future quickly brightens. Now, don't be mistaken about David here. He, he's not inactive. So you could, could hear this kind of wallowing in guilt. You hear him handing over to God. He's not being inactive at all. In fact, he's still leading his men. All, even this text, and you see moving forward, in this text, we hear of three men that, that he's sending out. Ittai, Zadok, Hushai. All of these men, he's giving them instructions. He's leading them forward. All of those that have come with him. And so he's still taking the next steps forward. The next steps that he sees in front of him. He's moving forward one step at a time as best he knows how in the wisdom of God. Through his prayers and his interaction with God, he's moving one step at a time. One foot in front of the other. Maybe that's the key for us this morning. See, without jumping ahead a thousand steps, or without stealing the future away from God, David begins to hand himself over to his Lord. He does what's next, takes the next step, and leaves the next 999 in the hands of God, praying, asking God for help, leaning on God for instruction. So we have the, these two men in front of us this morning, Absalom and David. And I'm afraid that we approach our futures a lot more like Absalom than David. We imagine life a thousand steps from now, and, and we try to grab it for ourselves, uh, stealing it from the Lord, when we need to be more like King David. King David in verse 25 and 26. Instead of running ahead and stealing the thousandth step, we trust that to the Lord and just take the next one that's in front of us. So we move forward now with, with what we know, where God has already led us. God has already laid a stepping stone, a stepping stone or two in front of us. And so we take those and we leave the rest of it up to our God. Allow God to shape your future and make it brilliant. Our God can do more with your future than you can comprehend. See, so why, why would we limit our days ahead by our own imagination when we can leave our future in the unlimited hands of the creator of the universe why limit our future by our constraints when our Lord God above is constrained by nothing when we say Lord take me and take my future take me and make me your own take my future and make it your own Lord then the days ahead will be bright and so all we need to do is be obedient with what God has called us to obey. Whatever the last thing God told you to do was, just go and do that. Be faithful to that thing. If you, if you take that next step that God has told you to do, tomorrow will take care of itself. If God called you to be a father this afternoon, be a father. Right? If God's called you to be a patient employee this week, then be a patient employee. You know, I think we get those. We get those kinds of things. But, but let me remind you that God has already laid out a distinct purpose for Christians that begins with the first word 
of Jesus' ministry. And all of it's wrapped up in the last word of Jesus' ministry. See, if we, if we don't know what that next step is, so if we say, I don't even know, like I can't even think a thousand steps in the future, I can't even think step one or two in the future, I don't even know where that is. And if that's where you are this morning, let's, let's back up and go back to the word of God, what Jesus left for us so that we can know his ways and know his will. Jesus laid out things for us to be obedient to. And in fact, that's why some of us are, are so um, lost in whatever the future holds, is because we haven't even yet been obedient to the things God's already told us. And maybe before God gives us any other step, we need to be obedient to the things that he's already commanded us to do that we haven't yet done. So let me ask you this. What was the first thing that Jesus asked us to do? If we go to Matthew chapter 4, and we look at the ministry and life of Jesus. So you work through Matthew, and you get, you get the, um, the birth of Jesus, you get the, the work of John the Baptist, you get the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, all these things. Then, then we step into the ministry of Jesus Christ, and the very first word of his ministry is a command to repent. It's a, the first word is what he's calling us to, so he's called the church to be a repentant people. If we haven't gotten that right yet, none of the rest of it matters. He's calling us to that first. And so then we look at the bookends and how all of this is wrapped up together. Take the first word of Jesus' ministry and the last word of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 28. We studied it together last week. What was that in Matthew 28? Before his ascension, Jesus gave us the last word. He says, he says you need to go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. And that, that's a command for all of us. That's the command of, of all of those who are following Jesus Christ. He's saying, you take this and you run with it, no matter where you find yourself this week. Because we're going to find ourselves in all kinds of places in this room. There are going to be hundreds of different places we find ourselves this week. Jesus is saying, take this word with you. Repent and go. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to uh, obey what I've commanded you. There are people in our lives who are longing for the word of Jesus Christ. There are people that are, that are longing for the ways of our Lord, saying, teach me to obey. And we'll have many more baptisms in the days ahead as we follow these words of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has already get a, given us plenty of things to do today. It's almost as if we have so much to, to do today in the work of the kingdom of God that we can't even imagine a thousand steps in the future. And so we need to leave all of that to the Lord. And let's get busy with what Jesus has already asked us to do. And if we'll get busy with what Jesus has asked us to do, those of us who are faithful in few things will be given a bright future. And so this morning, let's commit to obey our Lord and take the next step. However he has lighted our path, we're going to take that step. And leave the future in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. We're grateful for your word and your instruction. And Lord Jesus Christ, we commit to follow you wherever you lead. It's in his name we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.